Grow Your Bottom Line, hosted by LaDawn Townsend, is a weekly podcast and business show. On this episode, I challenge people, do you think people hire you for your expertise or your experience? And I argue that they hire you for your experience. A lot of people are led to believe that you're hired for your expertise, but you can't truly be an expert unless you've adapted a hundred times over and tweak things to where they work. And then, you know, because you've been there, done that people don't want to hire you for to make mistakes on their dollar. They want to hire you after you've made all the mistakes somewhere else. And so that's really, I think where the opportunity is for adapting using your instincts as a guide. But as Brian Fanzo says, just push the damn button or just like actually do something. I think we've all wasted a lot of time in thinking yes. instead of, taking action, reassessing, and then tweaking. All coming up next. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Grow Your Bottom Line podcast. I'm LaDon Townsend, your host, and excited to bring to the table today Ryan Foland, who is going to be our guest as we talk about all things of growing the bottom line. Ryan, thank you so much for being here today. Ahoy, it's great to be here. You know, I was on a boat yesterday, and if I had any excuse to come back to the land, it would be to be here with you and your audience to talk about growing your bottom line. Oh, thank you, Ryan. I love that. So, Ryan, I am seeing behind you there a book that you have on your shelf. We're going to dive into that today. But what, yep, right there, right there. Um, what I'd like to do before we do that, Ryan, introduce yourself to those in our audience who may not have the good fortune of already knowing who you are. Sure. Well, I'm a speaker, I'm an author, and I'm a ginger. And the ginger is my red hair, you know, my red beard my freckles. And as a kid, it was my sort of downfall as I was the the, the only ginger in town, really. And it was an easy uh, way for kids to target me and have me become an outcast. And that really impacted an early part of my life, which created decisions to um, get involved with martial arts, to learn how to protect myself and becoming a, a hockey player to, to show my toughness. And I, I attribute a lot of sort of what started me in certain directions as a direct result of getting a hard time for my freckles. So I have gone full circle and I've reclaimed it. And so I'm a proud ginger. It's part of my bio. It's part of my life. And I attribute uh, just ginger into just energy and positivity and optimism. And I, I really think I embody that. And so I, the thing I like to do the most, because I do a lot of things, right? And we all do a lot of things. But what I believe is most important is the problem that I solve. And I like to solve that, uh, the problem in particular, from the stage or from the digital platform where I can communicate with people. And I think the problem that I find the most passion in solving is that when you can't articulate your ideas or who you are in a compelling way, you're not compelling. <laughs> you just become part of the noise. And so I like uh, to help people understand that the best way to market themselves is to be themselves. The book is called Ditch the Act because it's the secret, the secret sauce that was staring me in front of the right in front of my face for a long time as I tried to get traction, as I tried to become a professional speaker, as I tried to put forth the image that I was the person who you wanted to spend the money on. I wrote, I, I, I tried to speak, but I literally got low to no traction because I was trying to act as if. And so I'm a big proponent of, of 
finding what has gone wrong in order to showcase what you've learned so that you can really represent expertise from a place of experience. And when I tried to fake it, I did not make it. And, and when I came up with that revelation, uh, it was just so empowering because as soon as I learned how to ditch the act, which is just being human along the way and, and, and showcasing your journey, as opposed to this aura of success that you think people want, that was really a changing point for, for my career, really, uh, because it let people see themselves in my story as opposed to me trying to convince them that my story was amazing uh, and that you know there's all these shiny points and highlights. So for me, uh, if I can help people simplify to the core of what they do, and if I can help them be proud of who they are, and I can help them communicate who they are in a compelling way, then my job is done and they're able to increase their influence levels. They're able to find their success. They're able to step outside of their comfort zone, have their fears guide them and, and actually get to a spot where they can focus on things like growing their bottom line. I love that. So uh, there's so many things I'm taking notes over here as you, as you speak, because there's a few things I want to come back to. Um, Ryan, what you do, you address it in such a passionate way. And I think that in the business marketplace and scope of things um passion for what we do has been over marketed right you know especially for the companies and individuals that you work with um, but you do need to have that passion as a professional what you're bringing to the table for your clients what sparked your passion to even get started to be a business owner did were, were you like me when i was like eight years old i said i just want to have my own business one day like i come from a family of entrepreneurs and that's just how I always saw myself being but what made you get into the direction of even wanted to start to be a speaker well my parents are educators so I did not have that advantage they you know uh, educators are kind of the opposite of entrepreneurs where they are teaching uh, self-thinking entrepreneurs but they're really focused on a system and a curriculum uh, the, the premise where I look at education is I do as the teacher, you show, we do, you incorporate your students into having them feel confidence to do it with you, and then you do. So all of education, I think, is summed up in I do, we do, you do. And I think that that's something that's always stuck with me. And I knew I would, I always knew I would end up in education somehow, uh, but I didn't realize it would be more entrepreneurial. For me, it was when I was in fifth or sixth grade, I think, I forget what age I was, but I was putting up Christmas lights on the house and on the boat. And it's something we did every year. It's like our family tradition. How many lights can you put up in the boat? And we participate in the boat parade. This year actually marks our 37th year, but this year we did not participate because we didn't want to support uh, mass gatherings, even though we still did decorate the boat. So Christmas lights is a huge part of my life. And I'll never forget this moment where I was up on the ladder with a staple gun, cha-chunk, cha-chunk, where as a you know fifth, sixth grader, that's like an awesome tool to use. And when no one's looking, you can still fire them off into the ocean and get a couple staple gun actions. But I was up there and I heard my neighbor, Mrs. Kawaguchi, go, Ryan, can you help me out? And I was up on the ladder. I'm like, yeah, Mrs. Kawaguchi, what do you need? She's like, can you help me put up my lights? And I was like, yeah, but it's going to cost you. Okay, $20 an hour. Okay, I'll start tomorrow. And that literally launched my first business, which is putting up Christmas lights. And it was totally untapped at that point. And, 
you know, you see these lights or the the signs all the time these days, like having people put, I was one of the first, if not the first, at least in my community. So with a good old, you know, dot printer matrix printer that stitched out with the things that folded off on the sides, I put one of those on every trash can in the neighborhood and I got a full book of business. And the next year I doubled my business. And the next year I just completely kept growing my bottom line. It got to a point where I made more money in the three weeks, basically around Thanksgiving time when lights went up and I didn't have to take a job for the entire year. And that lasted all the way through high school. And even in college, I had a few people I'd built relationships with that I would come back just to put up their lights on their, on their house. So for me, it was someone identifying that they had a problem and it was something that I could solve. And I just looked at business from that point as can you solve a problem and is somebody willing to pay for it? And, th and that was it. So I've always looked at things like that. I've started and failed a number since, uh, some very big successes and some very big failures, which in the business world is, is really where uh, my teeth have been cut. So uh, I'm passionate about teaching entrepreneurship. I believe that just as much as we all have a brand and we might not know it, I think everybody has a bit of an entrepreneur within them and it doesn't have to be a business. It could be approaching a situation or just using creativity or when you when you're trying to cook and, and you can't figure out what to do and then you make a certain substitute for something and you pull a MacGyver on it like I think that it's a it's an inherent trait in most of us to just make things happen I love that you said pulling a MacGyver because I, I think that uh, one I love that show the original MacGyver I'm trying to get into the new MacGyver there's so yeah I the new MacGyver it didn't, didn't resonate with me right? it's, okay. it's not just me right like I'm trying I'm trying to get into it but the original MacGyver MacGyver um along with um Airwolf I mean you, you just can't go wrong I mean we're saying a lot of things here that some of our audience probably don't know and for those of you that do you're probably like yes I know that when you said the printer with the paper that comes off I'm like and that and then like it was really cool because you could use like the print shop or whatever and you could do banners and then it printed out horizontally so like you could have a big banner of like five or six sheets that said something like it was phenomenal when you talk about being a macgyver in business um i i feel like when we talk about entrepreneurs that that's a missing part so we have an audience here of, of a mix from startup entrepreneurs to executives that are leading companies but at the core they are business leaders the way that we refer to them and i i over the past two years i i sense in talking with different business leaders that there's a resistance to trust what i call their professional instinct and to pull that MacGyver, right? Be or they're looking for the book. I mean, one of the things that's blown up is the coaching world, the online coaching world, business coaching world. And I, I, I believe you don't always need a program to know like you have a professional instinct. You had a job at one point running something. Can you talk to leaders who are faced with some decisions where there's no book that's telling them how to do it? I mean, I think we just came out of 2020 living that. There's not a book to tell us how to navigate being shut down every other single month or having new restrictions. But for those leaders that are in this year and they may not be trusting their professional instinct the way that they did five years ago or before, how can they get back to that? And should they, let me first ask you, should they even be trusting their professional instinct? So I think they should be trusting their adaptive instinct. And I'll show you why I think that's different. I mean, if you look at uh, if you look at evolution, and and you're and you're looking at 
birds in the Galapagos and the various beaks that they have, which really connect with the type of environment they're, they're in, as, as humans, we've been one of the most adaptive creatures in the history of the world. And so I think it might be interesting to look at the difference between intuition and adaptation. I think that by, I don't, I don't think that in this new climate, you can just automatically assume that you know what to do. Because then the next day happens and you realize something totally has changed. And so I think if you if you look at things more from an adaptive standpoint, adapting means trying, getting your hand slapped, trying again, reaching to something, getting it burnt, trying something different, getting to the point where your original food source is no longer there and you have no other option but to adapt and walk further or dig deeper. And so I think that intuition on its own without action trial failure re like revisiting what's actually working or not um is just wild guessing but i think if you look at adaptation like for me personally i was very close to making the full-time jump to being a professional speaker I, I work at the university of california irvine i've been there for over five years i love higher education i love what i do there i help professors and administrators communicate with students and it it's all what i love but I also love speaking and I got to a point in my career where I was ready to make that jump. And my instincts might've said, do it. But I didn't because it wasn't fully tested, right? I, I've been little micro tests. And literally as this pandemic hit, I thought to myself, wow, I'm glad I didn't go with my instincts on that. But it doesn't mean that I am not a professional speaker. It doesn't mean that my business hasn't grown. In fact, my bottom line for professional speaking has completely increased as a result of the pandemic. Okay, so I just wanna clarify for your instinct, don't just instinctively think you need to do something and do it. Your instinct should drive the, the, the passion or the inspiration for trying something a little bit different. Seeing how it works, does it resonate with your customers? Did it actually increase your speaking fees or did you not land the gig? Use that data, to, to redefine what you were interpreting it as, your instinctual. And so your instincts get better as you actually try and adapt. So for those people who are sitting back and just thinking of all the things they could do, but not doing anything, you're, you're not going to increase your bottom line. But if you're scrambling and MacGyvering and trying this and testing that and, and, and looking for best practices here and then seeing what the new trends are and following what's happening, and then now you're on Clubhouse and now you're... It's exciting because you're seeing what will work as a result of creating more experience. I'm going to stop talking here in a for a second, but I challenge people. Do you think people hire you for your expertise or your experience? And I argue that they hire you for your experience. A lot of people are led to believe that you're hired for your expertise, but you can't truly be an expert unless you've adapted a hundred times over and tweak things to where they work. And then, you know, because you've been there, done that people don't want to hire you for to make mistakes on their dollar. They want to hire you after you've made all the mistakes somewhere else. And so that's really, I think where the opportunity is for adapting using your instincts as a guide. But as Brian Fanzo says, just push the damn button or just like actually do something. I think we've all wasted a lot of time in thinking yes. instead of, taking action, reassessing, and then tweaking. Yes. And I, and to your point of doing that, 
I find that a lot of leaders now are looking at their leadership team, not from the 42 million Americans that were furloughed or fired or downsized last year, but making a decision to say, do we have the right people in the right positions? I think that's a big conversation that, that we're starting to have as well of we have people that they've stuck with us through 2020. So of course they believe in the business or maybe there's just not a better job for them to go to, but they're here. So just work with them. But they're looking at putting the right players in the right position. So you said something earlier about um, finding what has gone wrong. And that's a big area that as we talk with leaders, they're finding that they have people in positions that are underperforming. And it's sort of that Camelot is over because the cash flow needs to be managed even more now. So when it comes to finding what has gone wrong, when a leader finds that and they're like, okay, this went wrong. I adapted my professional instinct. I was out in the field, kicking the ball, ball got kicked back in my face. So I'm, I'm in the game though, right? When they find out something's went wrong, how do they address that as a leader first? So I'll give you a prime example. I was talking um, with a colleague and we were just talking about how, you know, our team, sometimes things don't get done and the ball gets dropped. And so it reminded me of my own situation where we, as we grow out the team, we say, okay, if the ball gets dropped, that's because me as the leader, there's something I didn't communicate, didn't set a standard. So it's never 100% our team, right? It's, it's, it starts and ends with us. When leaders find that something has gone wrong within the organization, and it's a heavy wrong, and it's, it's, it's hit their bottom line, what should be some things that they do when it comes to the team of not um, damaging the team morale, especially for those that continue to stay with the organization? So I would say own it, share it, and grow from it. So one thing that we haven't really touched on, or I haven't mentioned, is is the power of putting the person behind that brand and putting the person in front of that brand and humanizing those leaders who you may talk about in positional formats. I think that when you own a mistake, whether it's something that you made personally in your life or as a team or as a leader and not communicating properly or setting expectations, when you first own it and you actually say, this went wrong, that's the first part of sort of taking, taking the sting out of it because now we have a clear idea of what went wrong. Sharing it as in, this is what went wrong, here's how we want to improve, here's what we've learned from it as a process, it gives clear direction as opposed to just sort of sweeping it under the rug. And then when you grow from it, I think more so than more so now than ever, being able to get feedback from those leaders on how they see that this process and these, these processes can be improved would be important. I think that leaders now, the more you're humanizing yourself, especially among your team, the more you're going to resonate because people with kids or people with, you know, some of these challenges at home and, we're really all going through something, whether we know it or not. We all are fighting our own battles. And so when it comes to truly leadership in this new digital world, you can't assume it was like it was in 2019. And it's a matter of like getting real with people. And so if you're vulnerable and showcasing your responsibility and what's gone wrong, and you focus the conversation not around blame and shame, but around how do we learn and gain then you you have people who are wanting to contribute and they feel like they can contribute and they might find places outside of the role to step up and step into. 
roles have changed, but if you don't give an opportunity for people to help see where their strengths are going to support the bottom line, then, then you're missing that opportunity. And I think a lot of people are being underutilized because they're might maybe not being invited into seeing what other roles or other capacities that could help support. Mm. You brought up something uh, really good that I want to dive more into about the brand and the brand of an individual and a brand of a business. And I know that this is an area I call Ryan, the, the brilliant guru of the all things brand outside of the logo and the color before you even get to a designer just the brand and the message. And that's a lot. I'd like for you to talk about when you said, see, you weren't seeing, people weren't seeing themselves in your story. And that's what led you to do the change within your business. And then you wrote the book. And then I know you, you teach on this subject as well. Can it, when you didn't see that people were in your story, is that when the idea for Ditch the Act came up and you started incorporating that? Or, or how did that genesis begin? The genesis began in meeting my co-author of the book at a, a party at Keith Ferrazzi's house from a special invite that I uh, was not the initial ticket holder, but I got a ticket from a friend who couldn't make it. And so I had a chance to, to interface with about 60 other entrepreneurs from around the world that Keith Ferrazzi brought together in his house in, in the Hollywood Hills. And Keith Ferrazzi wrote, uh, Never Eat Alone, Who's Got Your Back, and also his newest book, Leading Without Authority. He was one of the youngest CMOs of a Fortune 500 company. He's just known as sort of the relationship person, how you build business by building relationships. So I was <clears throat> beyond excited to go to this party. One of the first things that he did is he brought everybody in a room and he said, everybody put your phones away. I want to share something, but I, I don't want anyone to document it outside of you listening to it right here. So everybody was like, you could just feel the like, what's going on? And here's this guy that, uh, you know, we're all looking up to. And we're like, this guy is way up here. Like, we're at his house. Like, this is fantastic. And he proceeded to share some, some things that he was struggling with personally. Some things that he was struggling with professionally. Things that, like, kept him up at night. Just 60 people he never met before. And, like, I'm getting goosebumps now because just the feeling in the room, everybody was like, oh, my gosh. He's not up here. He's like... He's like one of like, whoa, we have a lot more in common than you think. And his candor and his vulnerability completely set the tone for everybody just to sort of step a little bit closer together. This is pre-pandemic, right? And he said, this party is not going to be like one that you normally would think. We're going to assign you to random tables. Every plate had a different number and he had seven different tables around in this six terrace outside balcony overlooking Hollywood. It was amazing. And he said, when you introduce yourself, you're going to share what's going wrong professionally and personally because you're all here. You've got your stuff together. And if you're just talking about how great everything is, then it's just wasted space. And he said, it's only when you let people know what you're having challenges with that people actually know how they can help you out. Mm, and from a leader at that level, I was like, oh my gosh, up until this point, I'm like, you know, trying to act as if trying to fit in, feeling like I don't belong, but like trying to be here among all these other successful entrepreneurs. And so he made this feeling like, it's not about the success. It's about seeing where we can get help to get to the next level. So I, in the group, I stood up, the only one who stood up, my Toastmaster and me. And I said, my name's Ryan Follin. You know, personally, I'm, I'm challenged with the fact that I'm, nobody knows who I am. I want to speak, but nobody hires me. I've written 50 blogs this summer and nobody's reading them. I can't figure out social media. And I'm totally confused about that landscape. 
and I want to write a book about this through and three. Sat down. People go around. Somebody else stands up and says, you know, I've got social media figured out. I've got 10 million reads on my content, but I don't feel connected to people. And I just lost my girlfriend and I feel like I have opportunities for media, but I'm not confident to go after them. So I went up to him afterwards and I said, I'm Ryan. If you can help me out, I can help you out. And that was that was the connection. Now, we're very different people. And, and even since writing the book, we've realized that that we're off to better and, and greater things on our own. But the reason why it works so well is that we were so different. On the one ex extreme side, um, him and his content was really explaining all of the terrible things that was happening in his life. And people resonated to that in droves and millions. I remember one of the first articles I read was an article saying Leonard Kim is a fraud. And he wrote it. And he talked about how he felt like he was a fraud. And he really got deep into all these emotions. And people just flocked to that content. That was like the exact opposite of what I was doing. I was like, I'm not flawed. I'm amazing. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a speaker. Hire me. I'm a writer. I'm a this. And so as we worked together, I helped him with my strengths and he helped me with his. And there was sort of a turning point where I realized and he realized the turning point for my brand was, was being a bit more vulnerable and, and showing that, that Keith Frazzy candor. And that's what really not only made me feel more comfortable, but that's what I think made my audience feel more comfortable. And so I was able to bring them along with my journey, sort of owning where I was at the moment as it went. And, and for me, ditching the act was something that I was able to look back on and go, that's when things started to change. And if you're a CEO and you're portraying the perfect lifestyle and that you don't have issues and you don't have challenges, you're not going to connect with those employees. They're going to be afraid to be honest with you. There's a concept in the book we called going first. And if you meet somebody and it's a little small chat, and you're like, hey, how's it going? And you're like, oh, it's good. Great weekend. Great. Yeah. How are you? Oh, I'm good. Good. Great. Okay, great. Let's go. Let's talk about what we're going to talk about. Right. But as soon as somebody says, hey, how are you doing? And you're like, actually, it's been kind of a tough couple of days because of this. It totally changes the, the whole scene. And all of a sudden, that person might be like, you too? Oh my gosh, I thought that was just me. And now you have this like real conversation. And so there's a lot that's missed in small talk because it's like, hey, everything's good, good. Let's just kind of pretend like it. But when you're in situations and things are not working well, and you're one of the people to sort of admit it and talk about it, it gives somebody permission to go second and to talk about it. So I think there's a lot of, a lot of, you know, the, the I don't want to say lack of being honest. It's just almost lack of being honest by omission. You're not lying to them. You're just not telling them everything. Right. And so to ditch the act is more of just a lifestyle. If somebody asks you how you're doing and you're not doing good, I challenge you to share that you're not doing good. And that gives the opportunity for people to be there for you or to help out or to find common ground. And it may seem not very business-like, but it actually is the core of business. It's the relationships that you build with people. It's, it's the transparency and, and going to bat for someone because you, 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 you feel this connection because you know them. And so I think on social and, and other platforms, we tend to want to get people to like us. And so we'll do what we think people will like. But in actuality, if you let them get to know who you are, it's their choice whether or not they like you. Mm -hmm. And if they like you based on who you are, which is okay to be yourself, 
right? Because it's you realize not everyone's going to like you. Then those people that resonate with you or your message or your leadership style, they're going to trust you. And then they're going to become loyal to you. And the reason why they might stick around through 2020 and 2021 and whatever craziness, it, it might be because they trust you as a leader, because you've been transparent with them, because you're sharing what's really going on. And they're not afraid of all of a sudden losing their job because you're bringing them along with them in the story. Right. In that journey. Real conversations. I mean, we could talk for another hour just about that topic of how real conversations in the workplace needs to be happening because the amount of people just in life in general, right? So 2020 threw everyone for a curveball, but with companies still having remote teams. And, and I think this is more negatively impacting companies who didn't have the remote work from home before. So it's a completely new environment for them. So before when you could just pop over to Sam's desk and ask a question or meet at the coffee cooler or whatever, now you're not having that. And so you're having to try and find people and they're at home with the kids and they're embarrassed that the kid popped into a meeting. I mean, you know, if a newscaster can have his kid walk in a room when he's on, you know, Bloomberg, I think we're all safe at this point. Right. Right. Um, but there's a, there's that missing real conversations of how do you even keep real conversations in the virtual environment that we are in now, especially as we look at being in this for at least another year. Um, and I'd love for you to, to touch on that briefly. And then I want to be able to take some time to talk about the brilliance of what you do with the 313. We can't end the conversation without giving some talk about that. Um, but what do real conversations, what do they even look like? How do you begin those in a virtual work setting when there's so much pressure that we're hearing teams are under to perform at all levels, frontline executives, everyone's feeling the pressure. Well, I'll say one good rule of thumb is to share when you've had a chance and space to kind of reflect on what's happening. So I don't, I don't suggest if your house is on fire or your relationship that you just got in a fight with your, with your wife or something, or like, there's just drama. You don't need to be like, Oh, oh I am not okay. And this is, and here, like, it's not about sharing like what's happening in the moment. It's about sharing what has happened which opens up the window for you to share what you've learned from it and to reinforce why you are who you are because of it. So when you're having these real conversations, try to avoid stuff that's in the middle of it because it's not really fair to your listener because they don't know how it's going to end. And it's putting them in a weird spot to like, well, I'm not sure what you should do at this point. So if you're having an, a challenge or an issue, and you somewhat resolve it, or you have a chance to reflect on it, and somebody you're saying, how are you doing? You'd be like, well, it's actually been a, a kind of a rough few weeks. You know, um, a few weeks ago, my father-in-law got, you know, diagnosed with COVID, and two days later, he was in the hospital. Three days later, he was on a respirator. Three days after that, he passed, and we had to we had to deal with a Zoom funeral. It was, it was really intense, and it's like, I've been through that. And that was actually what happened the week before Christmas. And in sharing that with people, I feel like there's now an opportunity for them to talk about how COVID has impacted them and for them to be supportive of me in that moment. Mm -hmm. And so there's never been a time where there's more opportunities to share what's gone wrong. But when you do it, not in the heat of the moment, but more as a reflective and almost like an honest sharing, mm -hmm. it really starts the conversation in a way where there's permission to sort of share stories. And permission to, I think that's the, the core of when we started talking about 
you know, employee culture, a lot of catchphrases now, even when we get into diversity, equality, and inclusion, right? There's so many catchphrases where we've gotten away from the core of it's about connecting with people because organizations are only going to be as good as the people that are there to support it. They're the pillars, right? Um, so I, I, I mean, we could t- continue to talk on that, but you've hit. Yeah, well, let me, let me give you one quick example. So I, I work at full-time in a university, right? It's a full-time job. And because of my relationship with the boss that I have and because of my transparency over years and and actually getting to know him and me knowing him, liking him and trusting him, I work so hard for him and for the university way above and beyond, like whether it's the middle of the night, it doesn't matter because it's, it's not about punching in and punching out. It's about wanting the success of the unit and the division and the department and the school and student success. Like, I've bought into the mission and the vision and I'm here to support. But a lot of that starts and ends with my relationship with those people who I work with. Right. And so if you have an employee who you think is punching in and punching out or they feel disconnected, instead of just writing it off as it's the wrong role or the wrong person, try to figure out what's going on with them and, and try to build that relationship. It's like, and, and even when it comes to building a personal brand, I think leaders are, are afraid to sort of support personal brands because they're afraid they're going to go away. If my boss didn't support my international speaking and my brand building and my blogging and my podcast, I would not be at UCI still. And so the more loyal I am to my boss, I'm telling you, it's directly proportional to the support that he has for me as an individual. Right. And I think that professional development, we sometimes think it's about getting them to do their job better I believe professional development is figuring out how to develop that person to to chase after what they want. They might be in a role that they don't want to be in forever. If you don't know that, you won't have an opportunity to help give them more chances to chase after what they want to develop. If you don't know that they want to become a speaker, how are you going to find opportunities in the company to help bridge that gap of the role and, and have them take on more responsibility? So I just want to say that when you invest in your employees as people, and see where they want to go. Not just like, you're in that position, and I don't want to move you from that position, right? No, you're in that position. Tell me about your goals. Where do you want to be in five years? What kind of skills do you want to get? How can I help incorporate that? That's where you can start changing the roles to fit people's strengths that adds to your bottom line. And it all starts with that liking based on knowing so that they can trust you, trust your leader. If you're a leader and you don't, if you don't trust your leader, when they're gone out of the room, you're like, doing something else, right? And that brand that you talked about, so brand builder, let's talk about that with your 313 concept, which I think the word concept is not even the full word to explain it. But <laughs> tell us what is 313? Why is leaders should we be interested in 313? And why is it, as I call it, could be the lifeline of a business's brand and help them? So talk about that to us. The problem is that entrepreneurs talk too much. <laughs> which responds, which 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 results in talking past a sale, over talking, mansplaining, woman-splaining, whatever you want to call it. We are so excited that we tend to talk too much. Right. And a solution that I found is the three one three method. It's also known as a three one three challenge. The numbers stand for the results, which means, as a result of going through this process. You can explain what you do in three sentences, one sentence, and ultimately three words. Think of it as like the the cascading Russian dolls for your messaging. And it's a matter of being put on a spot, in a box, 
with parameters to simply explain the problem that you solve, your solution, and your market. They're the most fundamental pieces of information that you have to communicate. Yet if you are asked those questions point blank, most of the time your answers are goobly gop of lots of buzzy words and, and just filled in sentences upon sentences. Yeah. Learning from Mrs. Kawaguchi, a business is generated by solving a problem. So if you can't communicate the problem that you solve, how do you expect somebody to get interested? If you don't have a clear, concise what your business is, how do people know what the connection is between that problem and solution? And if you try to cater towards anybody who or everyone who, then you are literally saying you're for everyone, which means that you're for no one. Right. And the more specialized you are, the more tight your messaging should be. And that's the way to stand out in a sea of noise, in a sea of consultants, or a sea of fill in the blank of your type of business. It's those people with the sharpest messaging, with the most consistent messaging. It's those who who have brands that become memorable. It 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 just creates simplicity. And I think we overcomplicate things, and that's why we talk too much to sort of cover it. And so it's a process that I work through with leaders, with entrepreneurs. Uh, you've had the fun chance of going through it. I've got my podcast, a three one three challenge, but it just it just blows my mind how such a simple concept is so difficult. But then I remind myself that simple doesn't mean easy. Right. In order to get things to their most simplistic form, there's nothing more difficult. But when you get it and you make that decision, you're like, wow, you just create all this mental space of trying to figure out, I know exactly what that is. And the final visual reference I'll give you. So if, if I had a flag and I took the flag and I went, and I stuck it in the ground on my desk and here's the flag that's waving. What does that mean? What have I said about this desk? You've claimed your stake. This, this, this is, is mine. mine. This is mine. Okay. So the problem that I find with entrepreneurs, leaders, business owners, you name it, they're holding the flag in their hand. It's not in the ground. If they want advice and you're like, okay, well, tell me exactly what are you doing? And that, well, that's what I want to know. Where should I put it? Oh. And what happens is that they have little tiny flags instead of one. They're like, there's a flag over there and there's a flag over there and there's a flag over there. So let me, here's a flag. Okay. But we also do this over here and then here's uh -huh. a flag. And then there's a flag over there, but you kind of get this like scattered. How are your employees going to know what to say when they're asked and they meet somebody, what they do? No, they'll be like, uh, did, I, um, I don't know. It's confusing, but we do this. <laughs> so the 313 helps you take your flag, slam it in the ground and say, this is the problem that I solve. This is my solution. And this is my market. And when you can step back from it and you actually are, you're, you're, you're looking at this flag then you can have people give you feedback on it. You can ask people what they think about it. You can test it. You can try it. And then based on the feedback, when no one's looking, you can pull the flag and adjust it a little bit. But now it's right here. And so the 313 helps you to, to find your flagpole, stick it in the ground, which makes your customers and your employees have crystal clarity on the problem that you solve, your solution, and who you solve it for.
It's a fascinating exercise. I get all excited about it. It is. And when I went on your show, you know, after being having this business for seven years and critiquing it and going through, it was one of the best challenges I'd ever been a part of because in that 45 minute window, you really pushed me to think, no, get deeper with that. And that's where I think you really run you when you run with people who push you to think that so right now there are a lot of businesses that are pivoting in their business model you have retailers who are trying to navigate the online space you have traditional brick and mortars who are also trying to do the same thing consultants that as you found um, that typically travel and speakers everyone is having to find a different way to be able to do what they do would you say that it's beneficial for people to go through the 313 as they're making that pivot because even though what they do is the same way how they deliver it is different and everyone is going to be weighing them the decision buying making process is so much more um, conservative now how would the 313 method help those individuals who are saying i need to pivot at least for another two years here in order to keep the business going forward so it allows you in real time at the moment at this moment to be able to communicate the problem that you solve, what you're doing, and your target market. It's very easy to skip over those questions and the real definitions, the real core deep answers, because there's so many other shiny objects that you can focus on. <clears throat> I'm building a new website. I'm doing all this stuff. But does that website communicate the problem that you solve? And does that match with your social content? And that podcast that you're on, did you mention the problem that you solve? And so what happens is that I find we tend to avoid the hardest things and we substitute it for all the other little stuff that makes us feel good about the movements and the pivots that we're doing. But I challenge you to take a moment and define the one single biggest problem that you can solve. And if you can't, if you don't know it, then it just shows that there's worthwhile in researching and defining it. Now, I will say that the magic of, of working people through the 313 is that it's not me telling them you should do this and you should do that. I'm asking you, why is that the case? Is that really the case? Is that what it is? And so all of the answers of the 313, they're already inside of you. You already have them. I'm just helping you to get rid of 99% of them. And so you just decide on one. So if you are somebody who has pivoted, you've got to pivot your communication around it. And I really think that the way you communicate is the one thing you have control over that can get you what you want. Beautiful. I don't think you could have said it any other way that that communication is so key and really what you're doing. I know a lot of people start doing their marketing and their branding and they put money in the website and all these funnels and all the Facebook ads, but that core brand message is missing. And I think that's what you do so well. Ryan, how can our audience get in touch with you? Well, you can go to my website, which is Ryan dot online. That's it. There you go. One central place, one simple focus for you to go. That's where you can find my podcast. You can find my book. You can hire me to speak. I can run a workshop for you, but it's just one simple central spot. I'll see you online at ryan.online. Ryan, thank you so much for being here today on the Grow Your Bottom Line podcast. Great conversation. Until we talk again, everyone, here's what I'm going to tell you out of everything you heard today, what can you take away and implement? It's one thing to hear it, but what can you take action on? And we'll, we'll see you in the next episode. Before you go, make sure to subscribe to this channel and leave a review. We look forward to hearing your feedback on this episode. Also, are you receiving a copy of the Revenue Report? 
then we invite you to join the Voss Community, a private, members-only online area for business leaders. To learn more and to receive your copy of the Revenue Report, visit vossgroup.org.